The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a question for the show, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. Certified financial planner practitioners were trained in all of that stuff. Got me. There's about 50 other ones at EP Well. So if I don't know the answer, we'll find it for you. So it gives me good content for the show. All sorts of tax and American Rescue Plan questions lately. And um, I just want to point out that the tax deadline may have been extended into May, but your quarterly tax payments are still due on April 15th. So that essentially means you still have to get the majority of your return done to the point where you know approximately what you should be paying in quarterly taxes, if anything, uh, going forward. And quarterly taxes are for those that if you are making, if you're, if you're working for somebody, but you're not having enough withheld from your paycheck because you have other sources of income or you're just not withholding enough, you have to pay quarterly taxes. A lot of retired people, if they don't have the proper amount of withholding from their social security and their retirement account distributions, end up paying quarterly taxes. And so while we've had this extension, two things, you still have to pay those that first quarterly, that April 15th payment, and you have to, uh, there's no extension on funding IRAs and Roth IRAs. That's still due by April 15th. So in terms of everything that I've read so far. And a lot of people make that mistake every year anyways, because you have the ability to file extensions. And as long as you've paid what you owe, there's really no you know, penalties and interest. As long as you've paid what you owe, there's no penalties and interest to continue to file an extension. It just means you haven't finished yet. But just filing an extension does not extend your time to put money into an IRA account or a Roth IRA account. So I just want everybody to know that. A few random questions too on the American Rescue Plan. A lot of it has to do with will I get checks for my kids or won't I? And uh, you know, again, I'm not a CPA. I'm not a don't run a tax practice, but we do do financial planning, investment management, and individual tax returns here at EP Wealth. And there was a lot of changes in this American Rescue Plan for this next round of $1,400 checks that people are supposed to get. On the previous one, the CARES Act, it's it's the, the kind of older kids were, they're, they're kind of excluded. This one is very clear though. It's $1,400 per eligible individual. And that's all dependents in the household. So that can mean kids that are still in college that you're still claiming as dependents on your tax return. It can mean your parents that you're doing the care for your parents or an aunt or an uncle who are claimed as a dependent. So that's really good. That is going to put a lot more money into a lot of people's pockets that probably need it. But it's a lot stricter in terms of phase out of this thing. So first of all, to get it right away, it's going to be based on your most recent filing your tax return. For most people, that's 2019 because a lot of people haven't filed yet. And 
if you made more than 75,000 as an individual or 150,000 for married couples, that phase out is real quick. It's real rapid. It's totally gone after a very short amount. For example, married couple filing jointly, once you hit 150,000, it starts to get phased out. And then once you're at 160,000 of adjusted gross income, no more credit for you. Now, what's interesting, it's still kind of one of those things that looks like that it's going to base it on the 2019 tax return. It's a 2021 credit. And if you made more in 2020, essentially, um, or 2021, it's not like, like if they give it to you, it's not going to be clawed back if you end up not qualifying. But talk to your CPA about it. But if you've got a, a let's say you're a single mom and you live with one young kid and, and you're taking care of your 75-year-old mother, you're claiming both as dependents, your amount for that is three times $1,400. That person's going to get $4,200 out, out of this rebate check, right? Um, so it's something that you definitely want to think about. And it might even change the way that you're dealing with your college-age kid that is working. And maybe last year you didn't claim it was dependent. Maybe this year you are. I'm, I'm not. You've really got to talk to your CPA about that because it's $1,400 and that's a big issue. And what's really even more complicated is I know some college kids that were working, and a lot of times they were working in retail, they were working at restaurants, and they were put on unemployment. And they were getting unemployment checks. And so they might have been claiming themselves before, maybe not later. I mean, it can get pretty confusing in this situation. That's why you need to get a little bit of advice here. Because part of this uh, American Rescue Plan is up to $10,200 of 2020 unemployment compensation per worker may be tax-free if you qualify. And the reason why I say this is because, as I mentioned long ago, when the SECURE Act and the CARES Act were going on and we were getting these unemployment issues, is that a lot of people were going to be caught off guard not realizing that it was a taxable benefit because people kind of think of it as oh, I'm getting it from the, my state. So is that tax-free income? I think a lot of people were caught off guard because I've told you stories that I've heard of people that had barely worked, maybe a newer job, maybe the first job and people that were in that restaurant uh, kind of uh, industry all of a sudden were making more money by staying at home and they thought they were getting tax-free money. Well, it turns out maybe up to 10,200 of that is were tax-free. Now, what's really interesting about this is that it's involuntary unemployment. What about those people that received early retirement packages kind of as a result of COVID? Will that be considered involuntary or kind of voluntary? Because it's kind of like people know that once you're offered that, you better take it in a lot of cases. Otherwise, you could be just kind of chopped later on. Now, another big one. um, What's what's another... big issue of this plan is uh, the COBRA. That is as a result of uh, the American Rescue Plan. So under COBRA, a lot of people will leave an employer and, and you can be on COBRA whether or not you get fired or you quit or you're laid off. And so when people were let's say laid off or they ended up forced into early retirement, they were trying to make the decision, do I take COBRA and pay that, which is sometimes 102% of the normal premiums that my employer used to pay for me? Or do I go on, say, the Covered California plan or other, some other Affordable Care Act program? And the 
the big issue here is the cost, right? And if you look at the cost versus the coverage of, say, the California Platinum Plan, you'll see that it's fairly similar. A lot of people that had gone from the a really good plan with their employer over to the Platinum California Plan were kind of regretting their decision. And now they might have a way to maybe go back and change this. Because if, if they look at this program with COBRA, there might be a way to stay on COBRA without a cost for up to through September. So if you're a person that you actually, you know, lost your job or you had, were forced into early retirement as a result of COBRA, take a look at it. Take a look at this American Rescue Plan. Dig into it. Maybe if you didn't take COBRA, but you really wish now that you would have, you might have a chance to change your mind. So those, again, that have been involuntarily terminated from employment, you might be able to get this pretty incredible benefit. It allows individuals to maintain their existing health insurance via COBRA from April through September of 2021 at a cost of zero. That's a big, that's a big benefit. So um, the, and the way it's going to be working is premiums for coverage. I'm looking at uh, Kitsis's website right now. Premiums for, for such coverage are to be paid by the taxpayer's former employer and will be reimbursed to the employer in the form of a refundable payroll tax credit. So think about what some of these controllers and uh, people that are handling the books of these companies are going to have to deal with when it comes to these COBRA plans. I'm excited because I've been waiting a couple of weeks to get Eric Knutson on. He's a chartered financial analyst, over 30 years in the business. He's the co-head of the Newberger Berman Quantitative Multi-Asset Class Investment Team and the Multi-Asset Class Chief Investment Officer. So there's a lot lot going on there. Eric, thanks for joining me. Multi-asset is a wide range because some people... When it comes to investing, they specialize in, let's say, small cap or large cap or, you know, large cap growth or large cap value or commodities or currencies. But you look at everything. So how do you start your day? What do you decide what you're going to look at for the day? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great job for the ultimate generalist, uh, Chad. Uh, I could never <laughs> answer that like question. With ADD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could never answer that question. Well, you are you a small cap person? Do you like mortgage bonds? I said, well, I like I like thinking at the treetops. And so, you know, my entire career, I've been an allocator, um, and so I'm not I'm not obviously I'm not smart enough to pick individual bonds or stocks. I delegate that to the, the people who spend eighty hours a week or a hundred hours a week. You know thinking about that type of stuff. I'm, I'm thinking about how to build portfolios to deliver on certain outcomes. And so there's an element like you, Chad, for your clients, where I'm thinking about strategic asset allocation, long-term allocations to deliver on, on you know, clients' um, investment objectives. But then there's, you know, the, the, the kind of the secret sauce, as it were, is also thinking more short-term and how we're going to um, you know, shift or lean or tilt client portfolios to take advantage of shorter term opportunities as well as to help mitigate or seek to mitigate shorter term risks. And when we, when I say short term, you know, we're really thinking in time horizons that could be as short as one, one to three months or as long as, say, six to 18 months. You get past, you know, a couple of years out and you're in that realm of more kind of strategic asset allocation. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> So we saw this 
rotation start to really take hold at the beginning of February from growth to value, at least what was considered growth uh, all of last year. Now to some of the value stocks, which, you know, energy was value because oil prices took a beating, financial stocks, interest rates in the toilet. So they took a beating. And we're seeing this rotation over the last, let's say, almost two months now. And now on a day-to-day basis, you're kind of seeing this fight. Like today after the market closed on Monday the 22nd, you know, tech had a little rebound, but all the financials and some other things that had done well since February, just a little bit of a pullback. And 1% or 2% is not really a pullback. But you see what I mean? There's this fight. Who's going to win? Are you guys looking at growth versus value and saying, okay, it is time for a value play? Yeah. So again, it's important to define time horizons. So mm-hmm. for our 12-month time horizon, or let's say for 2021, you know, we believe that markets are going to be driven by early cycle, early economic cycle dynamics. And that is characterized by, you know, improving, rising um, economic growth, rising corporate earnings, um, uh, falling unemployment, improving credit conditions, and likely some rising prices. Although, reason, you know, the expectation is that rising prices will be reasonably well behaved. So given that basic fact pattern, of course, there's lots of nuance around that, both amplifiers and some, some, some shorter term headwinds. In that environment, you, know, you want to be positioned to take advantage of more cyclical stocks, more, more economically sensitive you know, stocks, bonds, commodities. And so that's going to that's gonna tilt you towards, towards value. And, and in our multi-asset class portfolios, in fact, those are the views we're expressing, but you know, with, some, with some nuance. Okay. So let's maybe talk about some of the nuance because we think of cyclical stocks as, you know, and industrial stocks that can take advantage of an infrastructure package. Um, there's that. There, there may be, you know, I just talked about the prior segment, $1,400 checks in many cases or tax credits that a family of four, $1,400 per person that maybe they wouldn't have gotten before, but even if a kid's in college or a, a parent's a dependent, higher tax credits and infrastructure package. So, I mean, if, if this post COVID rally is going to continue, um, I guess kind of explain to listeners that might not know what a cyclical stock is, where are you guys looking? Yeah, it's, it's really, what we're really looking for is, is sensitivity to, you know, short-term improvement in economic conditions. And that is in this environment very specific to reopening of the economy after, you know, after what is of course a, a devastating crisis. So we, we, when it all, you know, kind of sorts out, we do have a value tilt in our portfolio, but we're not explicitly saying, or oh, we're going to sell growth and, and own value. Instead, we're looking at, at very focused exposures that will benefit from this environment. And, and the, the finest or closest example of that is we have gone overweight a basket of reopening stocks, and we've gone short a basket of stay-at-home or work-from-home. And this is something we work with, you know, our, our equity colleagues and folks on the street to put together the basket of stocks that will, you know, benefit from that. So it's travel, it's restaurants, it's it's those kinds of stocks that are most geared to, to that reopening. But we're also looking, you know, across because we are multi-asset, we are allocators, we're looking more broadly than just specific, you know, themes like that. So for example, we're biased towards smaller companies relative to larger companies. Those tend to be more economically geared. We're actually right. underweight U.S. large cap stocks, which tend to be kind of growth and defensive oriented and also perhaps the most richly valued segment of global markets and bias towards areas like 
um, the pan, so the OPEX, which is very economically sensitive. Um, the UK um, equity market, as represented by the FTSE, may be the most attractively valued kind of economically sensitive market. It's characterized by a fair amount of exporters, uh, commodity stocks, um, you know, uh, uh, energy stocks, etc., and also the DAX, um, the the German you know stock market. So. So biasing towards some large developed markets outside the U.S. that that will likely be more sensitive to this economic rebound, but which aren't as rich in value. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I mean, I've heard that a lot. I mean, small cap so far we've is almost double the return of the S and P five hundred. Yeah. If you look at the Russell two thousand. Um, I've heard a lot about that international play. A lot of it's been more in the emerging market side versus the uh, international developed. But I, you know, the valuations are there. I guess is that the the idea? We're, we're a little cautious on emerging markets right now because of uncertainty around the dollar. You know, the one of the great consensus trades coming into 2021 was an expectation that the dollar would weaken. Um, and yeah. you know, anytime, every time everybody's in consensus, it always raises kind of eyebrows or maybe some some warning signals. Uh, and in fact, the dollar's actually appreciated modestly um, this year. If the dollar does not does not soften if interest rates and economic growth continue to go higher in the United States. You may see some more strength in the dollar. That could put some pressure on emerging markets relative to some of those other developed markets. And is that because of the a lot of their debt is priced in dollar terms, so their debt becomes more expensive? Is that that the idea? That's a, that's a piece of it. It the, you know stronger dollar represents a tightening in in financial conditions, global financial conditions. Um, and also they're, you know, to the extent they're export oriented or resource, um, you know, resource oriented, resource extraction, a lot of those commodities are priced in dollars. So that is challenging, you know, in, in, across several aspects. Gotcha. And the whole commodity thing makes sense too, because of the infrastructure play. I mean, you drive anywhere and you need roads and bridges. Look at what happened in Texas. We need new utilities built everywhere. So that's, that's a big one as well. But so we get this infrastructure package, everybody gets these checks and bigger child tax credits is this is this just going to be one year of really robust economic growth and then another flat line or, or how do you guys look for longer term maybe the three to five years out yeah we, we've got a lot of conviction in that kind of six to 18 month view um, what happens beyond this point I think will be critically um, related to um, the next steps of fiscal stimulus um, if this is kind of a one-and-done stimulus, although it's been massive, you know, fiscal stimulus. Um, we could very well see a return to kind of the secular stagnation that we saw post um, the great financial crisis, where you saw relatively muted economic growth, low inflation, low interest rates, and and that's in part because of headwinds from technology demographics that that are you know that are putting pressure on on inflation. Um, and and economic growth. So, you know, we're really, we're going to be watching fiscal stimulus probably most closely of any key lever uh, that we're watching, as well as how long central bank policymakers are able to maintain very, very low rates. If they're able, you know, right now, uh, Chair Powell and other central banks are saying they're going to stay low for long, they're going to let inflation run hot. If that, in fact, happens, that can extend this cycle. You can see this be kind of a the multi-year roaring 20s environment. But if you see fiscal austerity return, if you see the central bank starting to take away the punch bowl, you know, you mm-hmm. could 
could very well go back to that secular stagnation. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. We have been speaking with Eric Knutson. He is a chartered financial analyst, managing director, and co-head of the Newberger Berman Quantitative and Multi-Asset Class Investment Team and, and the CIO of, of the Multi-Asset Class, I guess, team there at, at Newberger Berman. So, and Eric, you look at everything, a big topic lately has been inflation. We've seen a pretty drastic rise in interest rates. Now, they're still historically low, right? You can still get a super low mortgage. But in terms of a percentage increase in the rates on the 10-year treasury, it's quite large as a percentage of where it started. And everybody's expecting inflation because we are, well, not all of us, but people are getting checks, right? They're, they're getting the stimulus checks. They're getting bigger child tax credits. Um, unemployment rates are going down. Give us a little bit on, on your views of inflation and how big of a risk this is to a prolonged COVID recovery play. Well, we would characterize the uh, a risk of significantly higher rates from here, or, or an inflation shock or surprise, is probably the biggest short-term you know source of, of downside risk or volatility in, in in markets. We already have seen it a little bit so far this year. You know, volatility at the end of February, early March, around you know around the rise in rates we've seen. We have seen a remarkable uh, you know, short-term increase in rates. I, I heard it called uh, sort of the the tantrum without the taper, and I think. <laughs> I think we can see more of that this year. You know, if if ten-year uh, Treasury rates go through two, if inflation, we're going to get some inflation prints. You know, where we see CPI go to go to towards two and a half percent just on base effect changes, and that in an environment where the economy is going to be going to be going very strongly, and there could be supply chain interruptions, labor labor, you know, um, discontinuities as people struggle to to return to work, and so I think that that. People shouldn't get complacent, despite you know what we what we've already described as a very strong kind of early cycle environment. Because there are going to be we view there are going to be some upside shocks uh, associated with rates and, and inflation in in the coming months. Um, and so that's that's our biggest concern. It's less around oh you know that that we get deflationary or negative growth shocks. It's going to be much more on the upside. And it, and it's important to remember that. For many investors, they've never invested in a high inflation environment. We haven't had a high inflation environment for you know a couple decades, you could argue. And so the tools in that toolbox are are not well used or well, you know, people aren't experienced with them, whether it's tips or inflation-linked bonds, whether it's commodities, which has been a real recommendation for us, and we've been overweight. And, and you could see another, you know, big move in commodities or other diversifiers other than just long, you know, long government bonds, which have been perfect diversifiers up until, uh, you know, six, nine months ago. Oh, yeah. The returns on some of the core longer term government bond funds last year, you can kind of say, okay, I mean, that's why a lot of them are down three to 5% this year. Correct. Um, and that's what I worry about a little bit because the average investor kind of doesn't look at a lot of stuff in their 401k. They, I think they pay more attention to the bond funds because they tend to be more steady. And when a bond fund declines, that's when people do that lemming thing. They run for the hills. Instead of letting the bond managers do what they're supposed to do, they sell, forcing the manager to 
sell the bonds at a loss. And that creates that wild volatility in the market that we see. I guess guess we could just hope that that doesn't happen to too much extent. I think people just need to realize there's going to be some pretty decent volatility in the bond world this year. Yeah, and I think it's a it's an important time to remind people of that simplest of of investing tools, which is which is rebalancing. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like an unsophisticated thing to bring up right now, but you know, just just this year, you've seen about an eight percent spread between equities and fixed income. You know, with right. equities up and, and and bond funds down in in a typical uh, terms over the last twelve months, it's even more significant than that. And just as in the midst of the crisis, rebalancing was a good thing to do. Keep your head, just you know, rebalance. That would have caused you to sell your appreciated bonds and buy your equities, which would have been a great you know trade. Um, you know, we do think while rates are likely to continue to rise, the bond market's going to be a more of a two-way market going forward. That that you know, you've already seen a big increase in in rates, and so um, you know, I think. We would suggest that investors use volatility to simply rebalance and keep balance in, in their portfolios, even as they lean into these more kind of cyclical themes that we're seeing. So, so maybe a slight adjustment to the bond portfolio in terms of, you know, don't be too long, maybe go a little bit shorter. But yeah. if you do see that interest rate jump and a, a short-term bond pullback, it's still a buying opportunity potentially in bonds? Absolutely. For for long term investors, these are just healthy things to be to be doing sure. in your portfolio to maintain that balance. Yeah, and I I totally agree on that idea of commodities. I think what was interesting is looking at a study of hedging for inflation, and I, I feel like it's going to be like this burst of inflation because we have pent up demand and supply chain issues, like you kind of mentioned. For example, there's a big adhesive shortage out of Texas where there's like four plants that create a certain adhesive like, that goes into a lot of different things, whether it's packaging, I don't putting tile down. I don't know. You know, their adhesives are used a lot. So you'll see this kind of price jump and then it seems like stuff will level out a little bit. But you mentioned investors haven't invested in high inflation for a long time. What, and, and realistically, have investors ever invested during inflation with super low interest rates? Because in the past, there's been inflation with higher interest rates. And that's when tips have done really well. Yeah, Tips had their run last yeah. year. So, I mean, commodities seems like it's the way to, to do it. Yeah. So that's, and, and you'd really have to go back to the 60s and into the early 70s to find a time, a similar time. And okay, I've been in this business for 30 plus years, but I wasn't investing in the, in the 60s, early 70s. Uh, uh, just just since the eighties, so um, you know, so inflate, you know, commodities are one way to do it. Other other approaches are to look look at areas where you can try and take advantage of some of those supply chains or bottlenecks. One trade that we have on in our multi asset portfolios is that we're long semiconductors through a semiconductor ETF and short the Nasdaq, the QQQ. Sort of think of it as kind of old tech versus new tech. And, and one of the theses we're pursuing is that semiconductors are like the copper of this recovery. You know, copper was always one of those commodities that was most geared to economic recovery because it's such an integral component of, of industrial production and building and construction. Well, semiconductors are that now in this you know, digital economy and the kind of the Internet of Things. And now we put the trade on even before the, the news came out about semiconductor shortages, cars and things like that. So I, mean, I think there are other ways to try and take advantage of this environment. And, and the, the key point is don't just rely on 
you know, long government bonds for diversification, you need to be looking elsewhere, you know, to make sure your portfolio is well diversified. I agree with that 100%. And there's, there's some people that have let themselves get a little bit too far over their skis in terms of their risk tolerance right now. And that's why I was kind of bringing up some of these, you know, what ifs, the things that people might need to think about so that they're not too overly aggressive, especially in some of the expensive areas. And we got about a minute. Uh, semiconductors is a big part of policy, bringing semiconductors back into this country for production. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned to me on the break about policy issues. People aren't thinking about policy issues enough for the second half of the year. So in maybe 40 seconds, can you maybe sum up some of your... Yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> yeah. So for 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 years, it seems like politics has been at the forefront of the list of risks that investors or we were focused on. Right now, it's almost as if people have forgotten that politics are out there. And 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 frankly, it's it's a bit of a blessing. Things have calmed down, and 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 things are less, you know, noisy. And yet, there are some important kind of events and dates that are going to come in the second half of the year. There needs to be a new uh, debt ceiling. There's going to be additional policy that's likely to include proposals that's likely to include tax rate, you know, tax policy changes. These things are are likely to create some volatility in market. And what we think is remarkable is people aren't focused on that yet. So we would just suggest to investors to maintain kind of that that wary eye. Don't get too complacent, as as you highlight, Chad. And you know, there's likely to be you know, a few more bumps along the road here. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us, Eric. I appreciate it. Again, we've been speaking with Eric Knutson. He is the Newberger Berman multi-asset class guru, we'll say. So thanks for joining us again on the show. Always look forward to having you. And we'll we'll talk to you again in a, hopefully a month or so. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chad. I think retirees are, are looking at this market now, thinking a couple of things. First of all, we've had quite the run-up, right? We've really had quite a run-up since March of 09. We had... The big pullback, of course, last year, which is a pretty, it was like the 10th largest decline, but the quickest recovery. Been in the business for 26 years, and that was something that, that quick of a recovery, it, uh, it was pretty unexpected. And then we've pushed forward. We've seen it that stocks that have benefited from everybody working at home and, and buying goods at home go through levels that getting a little bit rich in terms of price earnings ratio. Now we've started to see that rotation from that growth to the value, from the, to the stocks that have lagged a bit. And retirees are hearing a couple of different things. Taxes are likely to go up in the future because we have all of this stimulus and more coming. The fiscal package that some have talked about being $4 trillion. Who, who's paying for that? People with higher income, people that can afford to retire. We've heard also that the 60 40 portfolio is dead. Well, when I got into business 26 years ago or so, a little over that, it used to be 40-60, first of all. So it's always changing. Retirement planning is always evolving. The thing that to note is the stock market will take good care of you over time. It's What's changed a bit now is the bond market because the bond market has a lower rate of income for retirees than I've seen in 26 years. And really, it's historical levels. We have the 10-year treasury at under 2%. That means many bond funds that are, you know, any kind of in the intermediate to longer term are, are kind of in the 3.5% income range. That was twice that amount prior to the Great Recession in 2007. So it's not necessarily that the 60-40 portfolio is dead. It's that the fixed income piece, you have to be a bit smarter. 
the that's this is why I don't like indexing for bonds at this point. This is why I don't mind those retirement strategy date portfolios for people that are 20s, 30s, 40s, where it starts off aggressive and it becomes automatically more conservative and goes more into bonds as you age. But if you've built up a large portfolio, I don't like those. I really don't because they might put you into fixed income funds that just aren't right for today. Uh, you got to go a little bit shorter. And maybe instead of 60-40, it's 55 stocks, 35 bonds, 5% into some commodities or a little bit less in bonds and go into some private equity and, and some other things. Y- you'll still be able to do it. You just might need to redo your asset allocation a little bit and rebalance more often. So what we're seeing now is quick corrections in different areas. For example, right now, some of the longer-term government bond funds or even just look at BND, uh, Vanguard, uh, Total Return Bond Fund, uh, ETF. Last I looked, it was down like 3.5%, 4.5%. And so you still need to rebalance. At the same time, the stock market is up 5%, the, the S&P 500 or if you look at the S&P 500 equal weighted, which includes more weighting towards the kind of value-oriented stock, that's up like 8%. What a good time to trim a little bit and redo your fixed income to keep yourself at a, at a, at a portfolio that's meant for you. That's the right level of risk and everything else. The other thing that retirees are hearing about quite often is that, oh no, the, the 4% withdrawal rate, it's dead. We, we can't do that anymore. You have to do less. Well, if you go through periods of high inflation that are sustained, where you have to draw more and more out each year, uh, and you live a long, long time, and interest rates stay this low, yeah, it could be under under attack. So if you want to retire at 65 and be a little bit safer, it's more like a 3.5% draw rate. So that, it's something to consider is that drawing a little bit less when you first retire until interest rates normalize and the bond side of your portfolio pays you what it paid your parents and your grandparents. So you have to be a little bit more careful. You have to run different scenarios in terms of rates of return. You have to run Monte Carlo simulations, which is how do you look at your portfolio and your income and simulate many, many thousands of different types of market cycles and when good returns come and when bad returns come. All in all, the stock market takes really good care of you over time. It's positive 70% of the time. And as long as you can pass these Monte Carlo simulations and and, uh, have a portfolio where you set up, like I talk about all the time, three years worth of portfolio draws, not your expenses, that's too much, but three years worth of portfolio draws, the principal withdrawals that you're going to make over the next three years, those should be in cash. So that if the market corrects, you're not forced to pull money out when the market does decline. Instead, you're able to live off of your cash, live off of your dividends, live off of your interest, and sell some of your bonds and buy stocks and rebalance the right way. That's how you should really run this going forward. So you have to be a little bit more active in rebalancing in retirement. It's not timing the market. It's knowing that, okay, something's popped. We've got an increase in stocks. We've got a decrease in bonds. Maybe it's time to rebalance or vice versa. Decrease in stocks, increase in bonds. Time to sell some bonds and either replenish our cash or buy stocks on the cheap. So you can't really take that lazy approach. But what I can also tell you is that, you know, up until about six or seven years ago, people were able to, in the first several years of retirement, when the 4% draw rate was okay, they were able to actually not have to sell any of their portfolio to live. So the average retiree that had just enough to retire at age 65, for the first several years, they could live off of their dividends and interest 
from their portfolio without having to dip into principal at all. But now, because bonds are a little bit lower, retirees are having to get used to live off of some dividends, live off some interest, spend some of your cash. And when the market jumps like it has for the first quarter of 2021, maybe peel off some of those gains to replenish your cash. So it's kind of a little bit more active rebalancing. It's not that the 60-40 portfolio, it's dead. It's that people are just talking a little bit more about things like commodities and real estate and private equity because interest rates are now down and going up. Over the last couple of years, they were up and they were going down, which made bonds attractive. So it's, it's kind of a, a media play, I guess. So don't let yourself get too spooked by that. If you need some help with your financial plan, your retirement plan, shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com or go to the website, find out about our team, epwealth at chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show, the podcast, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of the ways to download the podcast are at chadburton.com. Have a great day. 